The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football National Championship betting preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Ready to attack this game and close out a great season on a high note? Yeah, we, we made it. We made it to the very last game. COVID tried to interfere in this game, but as of right now, it looks like we're on for Monday, and uh, that's great news. Here we go. If you hate gambling, go listen to NPR. Yeah, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but to pat ourselves on the back. We did call this as the final. We did say, and I'm glad I didn't want Clemson, Alabama again. I was getting sick of Clemson, Alabama. We both called Ohio State, Alabama. We both bet on Ohio State to win that game, and it's been a hell of a bowl season. I think I'm 23-7 and seven in bowl season, which is uh, – I had a lot of breaks go my way. You need some luck to do that, but you're only as good as your next bet. And it's all about closing out the season with some winners, whether it's a side or total in this game. I have a pity on one of those, and props. This is the one time of year where I will bet a lot of – Wall props. We'll have tons of content on props, actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app on Monday. We'll talk about them today. The, the market is not open really yet across the board with player props, but we'll talk about where we're looking based on some of our estimated lines there. All right, so let's get right into it. At BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, Alabama is a seven and a half point favorite over under 74. Four and a half. We'll get to our bets a little later. Let's start out with when Alabama has the ball. I mean, look, this Ohio State defense has a lot of questions, specifically in the secondary. I've screamed enough about Sean Wade getting first team All-American at corner, which is just a travesty. Wrong. I mean, he wasn't even the best corner in his state. That was Ahmad Gardner at Cincy. He was pretty good last year as a nickel corner when he had pros outside and Chase Young as a defensive end. On the outside, he's been pretty pedestrian all year. Same with seven banks on the other side. This is a secondary that is extremely vulnerable. Last year, with three pros in the secondary, they played a lot of press man. This year, they're bailing a lot. I mean, they just they know that they don't have the corners to really press up, and they don't have a Chase Young to kind of make up for some of those issues in coverage. The defensive line has been, I would say, the strength of this defense. Very stout up front. However, it looks like, and these are just rumors because Ohio State has dealt with COVID issues. Tommy Togiai, I always say his name wrong. I'm sorry, Buckeye Nation. An absolute stud, especially in the semifinal against Clemson. And Tyreek Smith, The rumor they're both starters in the defensive line. The rumors floating around are that they're both going to miss this game. OGI would be a big loss up front. It's a at Ohio State defense. You know, the linebackers are are solid. Pete Warner is going to make a million tackles. Tough Borland is solid as well. But this is a vulnerable defense. And I'm just not sure how they're going to be able to slow down this Alabama offense. I don't even know if this was last year's Ohio State defense, how they would slow down this Alabama offense. I, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to try and drop everyone, keep everything in front of them. Maybe that means it's a big day for Najee Harris. Because the Alabama offensive line, look, when we look back at last week, what really happened with Clemson, they didn't have their play caller, which really hurt. Their offensive line got beat a lot by Toji and company up front. And Clemson, we talked about this a lot. They had a pretty average 
receiving core for Clemson standards, right? I mean, they were just a depleted receiving core based on what we've seen the past few years, injuries, turnover at the position, et cetera. Um, Alabama has none of those problems. One of the best offensive lines in college football and the best wide receiving group led by a wide receiver that won the Heisman Trophy in the Slim Reaper. You know, you also have Mechie, and there's rumors that Waddle might come back. I, I mean, I just don't know what this Ohio State defense could do. It's pick your poison. Are you going to try and stop the run? You're just going to get beat deep because this Ohio State, these Ohio State corners cannot match up with these Alabama wide receivers. I'm just going to say it flat out right now. Uh, they can't. I think they're outside the top 100 defending pass explosiveness. That's not good against Alabama. The Alabama offense, there's nothing you can say. This is a picture-perfect offense. Great offensive line, great rushing attack, great quarterback, and phenomenal receivers. I, I don't know what you can possibly do to stop them other than either keep up or try and keep the ball like Notre Dame did. But then you're, you're it's that's too hard to just run the ball up and down the field, and then Alabama's going to get the ball and score. So uh, I don't know what Ohio State could do here, especially if they have those defensive line injuries. They could have more defensive line injuries if the defensive line is dealing with COVID. How do you see Ohio State attacking this from a defensive perspective? Can they get any stops, or is this just them as getting to 40-plus at the minimum, and that's that? Well, I I mean, I'm going to take a step back a little bit before we get into, like, the actual matchups on the field and say that Ryan Day – can surprise us all. I mean, there's no reason that Ryan Day cannot pull this upset off. Do I think it's he's going to pull the upset off? No. But at the same time, let's look at what he's done as he's been a head coach. He's 23-1 and one straight up as a head coach or an interim coach. Uh, and, you know, I just think if people look at the advanced analytics for Ryan Day a little bit more, I made a big stink two years ago in our national championship preview that over a six-year span, Clemson was the king of the middle eight. And I think if you're – the king of the middle eight, then you are doing a better coaching job than everybody else in college football. In the NFL, you know that you want to have a possession going into halftime and have that possession coming out of halftime. But how many of these college coaches can look NFL-esque by managing the clock? There's not a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of bad coaches that do not keep track of the clock, don't know how to manage timeouts. Uh, College football is a completely different world. Ryan Day has been the leader in middle eight since he took over the head coaching job at the beginning of 2019. That tells me he knows exactly what he's doing on both sides of the ball. And so I'm not just going to dismiss Ohio State out. You know, I know the rumors about the COVID-19 you know, going on with their defensive line, but I'm not going to dismiss Ryan Day and Ohio State out of this. I think what Ryan Day is going to do and look at two games where Alabama had serious problems and actually winning was, you know, at stake. Like, it it was actually a question whether at some point Alabama was going to beat Ole Miss. It was actually a question if they'll be able to hold on against Florida. So as many props as we're going to give the Alabama defense, and they deserve a lot, especially in the secondary, we're just a couple weeks removed from Florida being able to put up as many points as they wanted. Ole Miss, rush three, drop eight, did the same thing. And, you know, both those teams covered. And I think that that's kind of the game plan. And if that's what Ryan Day wants to do, this number is going to be. But again, you're you're talking about Ohio State's offense, which we're going to get to, and I think can have success. And that's the the non-Notre Dame game plan. That's the Ole Miss, the Florida game plan is keep up, match them, master the middle eight, steal a possession, hold them to a field goal somewhere, and win win a game in the 40s. Yeah, and we'll get into it later. The, the the key stat for this national championship, and there's going to be a full write-up on action, uh, I believe 7,000 words, unless our wonderful editors chopped into it a little bit. I might have yacked a little bit too much in some of the sections, but the key stat in this is called momentum killer rate. And it's a stat that we don't use very frequently, and I, we probably should integrate it just a little bit more. It's a little bit harder to drive, but a momentum killer rate is the combination of interceptions, fumbles, missed field goals, sacks, turnovers on downs, and 10-plus yard penalties. And what it really stands for is how how well is your offense humming? Do they stop themselves? Do they take themselves out of drives? Do they get points up on the board? Does it not matter what their field position is? And because we've seen this amazing trend with Alabama this year against Ole Miss over 90% of available yards. It's one of the, I don't, I, it has to be an all time record. I mean, I'll spend the offseason looking at it. 
But when the national average of available yards is 44% and Alabama puts up 90 and most of their games, they put up 60. Uh, I mean, Ohio State put up 62% against Clemson to give you an idea about available yards. This game comes down to momentum killer rate, which offense will not take themselves off the field, which offense will get points up on the board every single time. And if you trip up, it could cost you the game. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'll just say it right now. I make the total – I make the total 79. So I played some over 74 and a half. I think that is going to be Ohio State is going to have to keep up. I think they can. We'll get into their offense next. I think it's going to be a shootout. I make Ohio, I make Alabama close to, I think like six, six and a half point favorite. So I see a tad bit of value in Ohio State, but I, I really like this over. And I think Ohio State knows that their defense is not going to get many stops. And I don't see any way that they really can get many stops here, which means that their offense is going to have to keep up, which means that they're going to have to call an aggressive game plan as well, which means they're going to have to go for it on fourth downs when presented with those opportunities. So uh, I I know this total is so high for a national championship, and a lot can go wrong with an over 74.5, but I see value in it. And before we get to Ohio State on offense, which I think is – the more intriguing handicap here. You you don't you don't see any way that Ohio State can really get too many stops here. There's not like, hey, this is an advantage that they can exploit. Like I, I like that they have they started using Proctor at the single high safety last game, which I think was smart, but they just don't have the corners here that can match up. And I don't see any way they can get stops. You agree? Well, if this game is going to go under and and full transparency after you know all the box score information came in my projection for the game went to 72 from 71 and a half to 72. And so I wouldn't take an under on this game for my life. And and, and if it hits under great, but I'm not going to get invested in an under with these two offenses. And, you know, we really, the only way that I think that this game goes under barring, barring injuries, right. Barring like a Mac Jones injury or, or something, you know, Justin Fields injury. If the game plan that Alabama use against Notre Dame, which I don't think they're going to use that. And I think they use that against Notre Dame because their All-American center, Landon Dickerson, was out. So we should start there with the Al- when Alabama has the ball cap is their center was out and they backfilled with a senior, Chris Owens, who is just not a very successful offensive lineman. And the way that Sark was able to get around that was to have Mac Jones get rid of the ball as fast as possible. 23 passing attempts behind the line of scrimmage against Notre Dame. 23 passing attempts between one and 10 yards. They had just six passing attempts over 20 yards. The Alabama offense only threw it 20 yards six times. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? And I think it was all by design because of their center who, you know, to Chris Owens, you know, I mean, he's been a backup his entire career. Uh, but he also has posted, he posted in the game, the worst run blocking and the worst pass blocking of any of the linemen. And that's just the way that he's been. He's had 600 career snaps in his four-year career, and he's allowed more pressure than any other offensive lineman on the season. Why did you push yourself? So we talk about Ohio State having the COVID on the defensive line, and maybe that is a strength. But what does it matter when Mac Jones's efficiency is just as good, is just as good throwing between one and 1.2 seconds as it is between two and two and a half seconds, because it is his NFL rating is insane. I can't get this through enough with Mac Jones. If I had a Heisman vote, I would have voted for Mac Jones that he's as, he's as cool as can be in a pocket, a heavy pocket being pressured. It does not matter if you get pressure on Mac Jones, if he gets rid of the ball, the pass is just as clean as if it was a clean pocket. Again, what is this is going to go under if they decide to do the short game. And I will say, you know, if you look at the splits, Mac Jones' favorite targets, left outside receiver, right outside receiver. But most of those are downfield and not what they did against Notre Dame, the short stuff behind the line of scrimmage. I don't see that happening. You have to recognize the fact that Ohio State's weakness is in their secondary. And if Sean Wade wants to go man-to-man with Devonta Smith, uh, you know, God be with you. That's going to be a struggle. Uh, but you know, some of these, the secondary for Ohio state, I can't see them keeping up with Alabama at all. I think the game plan that they put in against Notre Dame is the exact opposite of what they're going to put in here. Uh, it doesn't matter if you blitz them. I know they run a four, three, I know Ohio state can get pressure. I know their defensive line looks 
so good. But I don't think Najee Harris is running in the A-gaps around the center, around Chris Owens. I don't think Alabama runs any plays in between the guards and in between the tackles because of Chris Owens. And I think we will continue to see Mac Jones on a quick release, or if it's a two-second release, then it's going to come 20 yards down the field attacking uh, you know, Josh Job, uh, Sean Wade, uh, you, you know, a, a lot of the guys in the Ohio State secondary. Yeah, we're, so Devontae Smith, I'll be curious to see if they do let Sean Wade just shadow Devontae Smith because and he'll, he'll line up in the slot a lot. I, I think that, I mean, at least Wade is more comfortable there, but if Wade's going to try and play one-on-one all day against Devontae Smith, I think that's a nightmare. I think that they're going to have to just, they're going to have to give him safety help, but I think that's going to open it up for, and this could, this will, we'll talk about this maybe in our props. This might open up the field for other receivers, Mechie and potentially Waddle. Any intel on what you think there? Is that a bluff? Not only, I think he'd be worth, look, people are always like, oh, Waddle could come back. And look, Waddle is a great player, spectacular and spectacular returner, but he's still a receiver. Like it, to me, it would be worth like a half a point. But uh, just having another explosive weapon out there, and on punt returns, I don't know how many punts we'll see, but what do you, what do you see there with how Smith's going to line up, what you expect there, and then thoughts on Waddle? Yeah, Devonta Smith, figuring out where he's going to line up is going to be rough because PFF had him as a starter uh, most of his uh, throughout the half of the season. He was in the left slot, and then the last four games he lined up in outside left, outside wide receiver. But if you watch him on game film, he's everywhere. Uh, so, you know, that it's tough to say where he's going to line up. But if they're shattering. Yeah, they motion them all over trying yeah, to get mismatches it, too. It's impossible to sit there and say, well, they're going to kill him out of the slot with Devontae Smith because Devontae Smith is everywhere. But you bring up a great point. I think Jalen Waddell is a fantastic betting opportunity for us in props, not on Waddle himself. Because what Jalen Waddle presents, and Alabama's playing this perfectly, he's not, gonna have to take up. He's gonna take prop yardage up. Yeah, from other receivers. Yes, yes. Not only is he gonna take prop yardage off of some of the other guys, but this is could be a stone cold bluff. As a guy that got to play pandemic poker with guys that have actually won the World Series of Poker, this is Saban sitting at the final table saying, "I, you know, I have Jalen Waddle in my hand, right? So you're gonna have to respect what I have." And and what I think is going to happen here is not only is the Devonta Smith and the Mechie totals are going to come down. You know who else is going to come down? The tight end totals. And that's where we need to focus because Sark has doubled his play calling in 12. He loves his tight ends. That'd be Jalil Billingsley. That would be Miller Forrestal. Now, there are some stats on those two tight ends that people just need to start recognizing because they have gotten hot. Billingsley has caught every single target his way, all 15 of them, since week eight. Since the Tennessee game, he only he only missed one target. Uh, it was overthrown. It wasn't his fault. And if you look at Miller Forrestal, half of his targets have come in the last three games. Forrestal is so efficient for any Alabama quarterback. He has not recorded a drop since Texas A&M in 2016. These two uh-huh. tight ends are going to get an amazing amount of looks in third down situations and play action. Waddles on the field. Devonta Smith gets a lot of attention. These tight ends are a huge part of Sark's play calling these days. I mean, it's up to like 45% of play calls are in 12. So I think what Waddle does is he presents a great prop opportunity for us on the other weapons. Couldn't agree more. Um, All right. So I think our consensus is there's some prop opportunities with Alabama. Alabama's going to score. There's nothing really Ohio State can do. It's still a football game. It's one football game. Alabama could just have an off night, and they maybe put up 30, 35. There could be fluke turnovers. There could be injuries. But for the most part, you play this game 90 out of 100 times, there's nothing Ohio State can really do from a defensive perspective to slow down Alabama. So the question then becomes, and this will, I think, ultimately decide the spread and the total, is can Ohio State keep up? So we look at their offense. The first question we'll start with. Well, first, let me put this out. The offensive line for us, it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I mean, this is an elite offense. This is this offense is unbelievable. It's the, the play calling is obviously spectacular. You have a great NFL quarterback who could go in the top three in the NFL draft. Adjusted fields. The offensive line has just been so good across the board. If you look at pretty much every advanced metric. And then you have Trey Sermon, who's just running like a madman, who's come on as a running back that's just tearing up opposing defenses. And then you just have weapons galore 
outside with Alave and Wilson, uh, a couple young guys who have really come on. So this is an extremely explosive and efficient offense. And Alabama, if you look at some of their numbers there, you can throw on them at times this year. And some they're, they're vulnerable to explosive passes, which I think Ohio State could potentially exploit. Alabama generally – and look, Alabama the, – the one stat that sticks out for Ohio State is their sack rate is bad. But that's mainly just because Fields holds the ball a little too long at times. But Alabama is not – they don't have an elite pass rush this year. This is not a team that's just going to kill you off the edge with dominant pass rushers um, and they're they're passing down sack rate. I think they're outside the top 50 in that department. So Fields might take a couple sacks as he's holding on the ball too long. But Alabama's defense, generally speaking, they play a lot of man on the outside too deep. They have an excellent corner in Sertain. They have talented linebackers led by Moses and a stout defensive line, but they're not going to kill you from a pass rush perspective. But the question here is, and historically, teams that spread out Bama and go tempo with a mobile quarterback, that's how you're going to give Alabama's defense problems. Ohio State can check all those boxes, assuming Fields is healthy, which from everything I've read, he's he's good to go. And and what I mean by healthy is not necessarily that he'll, he's just going to play, but, I mean, this is a future NFL quarterback. Is he going to be willing to run it? And then also, is he at risk of going out of the game at any point. In time. Is he going to take we'll, a Skowski, right? Is he going to take a spear to the back again? <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about their, their backups after we just go through the, the potential backups of quarterback after we go through just the first team. But this offense is really good. The question is, and this is kind of the only thing that I was thinking, how does Alabama, because I think Ohio State's going to move the ball. I think Ohio State's getting into the 30s minimum. Does Alabama take a page out of Northwestern's book and play a completely different scheme where they rush three, drop eight, where Fields really struggled. Uh, his numbers were awful, and they just kind of took away all the passing lanes. So does Alabama kind of do a 180 on their defensive identity and scheme, switch it up there? Let me know how you see it. How do you see it playing out with Ohio, when Ohio State has the ball? I think at a very high level, the offensive game plan for Ryan Day is, I will take what you're going to give me. You're going to rush three and drop eight, something that we haven't seen before then I'm going to have Justin Fields run on you and get 10 to 20 yard gains. And I'm going to feed Trey Sermon like there's no tomorrow. And I think that we need to give, I know we're a betting podcast, but let's make this an offensive line podcast. The, the offensive line has just been amazing. I can't even talk enough about all the film that I watched, you know, back through the game on some of the Ohio state and, you know, their left guard, Harry Miller, he had COVID and he couldn't participate in the, in the semifinal game. Matthew Jones fills in. Uh, as a backup he gets injured during the Clemson game and then freshman Paris Johnson comes in and that hole that 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 entire Trey Sermon run where he was untouched that was plowed by the third third stringer they put in at left guard so that's how great this run blocking offense is uh Ohio State if they I I don't want to eat my words here but if they don't win this national championship I don't see why they can't win next year's national championship. They are completely loaded, especially in the trench, especially on the offensive line. Uh, Might be Ohio State's best offensive line, which is saying something. Yeah, and and I think the thing is, is Trey Sermon's just he he's lost his mind. I mean, shades of Ezekiel Elliott having a vanilla lukewarm type regular season, and then when it matters, just going crazy. And what I mean by that is, leading up to the Big Ten championship, Trey Sermon only had nine avoided tackles. And only 175 yards of uh, after contact. That's it. Total cumulative. What's he done the last two games? 293 yards after contact. 24 missed tackles. That's just in the running game. I haven't even begun to mention the fact that Trey Sermon only had five targets out of the backfield through their first five games against Northwestern. And in the semifinal, he's had 10 targets. He is now a huge part of the passing game. So when you ask me what's going to happen against Alabama's defense, if they do decide to go rush three, drop eight, you're going to see a lot of Justin Fields running the ball, but whatever defense they put up there, I think you see Trey Sermon in swing passes, bubble screens, any kind of screens. And I think they're going to take advantage of the weakest part of the Alabama defense, which is the linebacker core, the Christian Harris, the Dylan Moses, they are the lowest rated in pass coverage. They're not really too high rated in, in, in rush and tackling. 
Uh, the strength of this Alabama defense is Patrick Sertain, the second, Josh Joe, Malachi Moore, three cornerbacks. You can line them up anywhere and shut people down. And I think from a prop perspective, that's really bad news for Garrett Wilson. It's kind of bad news for Chris Olave, although he has, you know, he, he's good enough to create some space and get something done. And he is Justin Fields' uh, prime go-to guy. So he'll get by on the defense at least once. Yeah, yeah. He'll get uh, Chris Olave is going to get yards, but this is not somebody I'm rushing to bet an overprop on on anything. But so I'm we're going tight ends again here. Tight ends. Yeah. Tight end, yeah. Here we go. For some reason, Ryan Day last year, 2019. 21% of plays for Ohio State in 2019 in the 12 formation, two tight end set. That 21% this year jumped to 33%. College football is changing. Five to six years ago, the SEC decided they needed to be the Big 12, run a lot of 10, run a lot of four wide receiver sets, get some RPO out in space. College football is changing. We have two teams competing in the national championship that are running a massive amount of 12. Uh, so be on the lookout next year for tight ends. I mean, I, we need to pay attention to tight end recruiting. Uh, but once you look at those weapons, if you want to attack a linebacker like Dylan Moses and Christian Harris, then you're going to get Trey Sermon in some passes and you're going to run screen passes to your tight ends. That's how you're going to attack the middle. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. Now, where the difference in this game comes is the fact that Alabama's secondary, who, by the way, is top 20 in the nation and PBUs per game. I mean, they're, they're pass breakup monsters. Uh, Malachi Moore is going to be fine in this game. Patrick Sertain is going to shut somebody down. Uh, but let me tell you the difference. The, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, momentum killer rate, how good is your offense at achieving all of the yards and, getting, and, and not having any disruption? No interceptions, no fumbles, no field goals, no sacks, no turnover on downs. We talked about Ohio State's sack rate. It's there. That's a part of momentum killer rate. Alabama, second lowest momentum killer rate in the nation. It's 7.9%. Ohio State, 77th. That is the difference in this ballgame. That is why I would want a plus eight. Because if this thing goes to overtime, let's say Ohio State does everything perfectly and they go to overtime. I would want a plus eight in this scenario. We've seen crazy things a la OU Texas. Uh, But 77th for Ohio State and momentum killer rate. And the two biggest areas where they take themselves out of the ballgame sacks and 10 plus yard penalties. Ohio state is top 25 in the nation and getting flagged for 10 plus yard penalties. So as much as I think this offense can be successful and efficient and can get down and hang with Alabama, they've shown this year, they can take themselves out of the race. And if you get down two possessions, it's a battle for the rest of the night. Now, a little quiz, uh, you know, I mentioned momentum killer rate and Alabama being second, best in the nation stuck i'll ask you who is the 2020 best lowest rate and momentum killer on offense in the nation so this means like a team that doesn't kill itself they never take themselves off the field well my first thought was going to be kent state but i remember that buffalo game um and they only played a couple games this year ball state you are right on the first shot it was kent state Kent State no is way. number one in the nation in momentum killer rate on offense. So it, it and that's the thing is like you know we had games. They led the nation in scoring, I think. Yeah, like they, they yeah. were better than Alabama. I mean, when you get seven hundred yards put up on the board, and the other team put six hundred yards up on the board, uh, momentum killer rate is something I think we should pay a little bit more attention to in the twenty twenty one season, especially after we get some data. But Alabama being second at the schedule that they've played is still pretty amazing. But I think. You know, that's wait, hold on. That stat doesn't take into account turnover on downs, though, right? It does. It does take over into does. Account turnover okay. on downs. Yeah. Yeah. It, the only thing, t- Kent State didn't turn it over at all, all year, and they just put up a bajillion points. The only thing that I, and they had a good kicker. The only, I mean, they, they only played like four games, but all right, I'm glad I got it. They wow. still didn't have zero percent. It's still like 4.8 percent, but still, they, they were the best in the nation in momentum killer rate on offense. But I mean, to me, yeah, that's fields taking those taking sacks and 10 yard penalties. Is a kill, thing. Drives. Yeah, and 10 yard penalties is something I didn't expect to see. I didn't know Ohio State was getting flagged that much on offense for 10 plus yard penalties, but they are so. Certainly something to keep your eyes on, especially with this referee crew coming in from the Big 12 who cannot manage a clock and they love to call a lot of holding. So, uh, you know, it's your favorite referee from the OU Texas game, Brandon Cruz. Uh, He is now a senior referee 
in the Big 12, uh, but he's only got five year of D1 experience. Uh, you know, digging deep into this referee crew, uh, it'll be in my piece on Action Network. You know, this referee, certain referee came from the Mountain West. He's only been in the Big 12, I think, for two years now. But the Big 12 had a huge churn, a huge turnover of guys just uh, one of them took another job and another conference. But then like four or five of them that have been there forever, they all retired. So somebody that only has five years of, of FBS refereeing experience is now the head crew official here. Uh, he is famously known for taking 46 seconds off the clock. Uh, at the six-minute mark when OU is up 31-17, to 17, giving an extra 46 seconds to Texas for God knows whatever reason. It's in the article. I've queued up the YouTube for everybody to watch. Why do we have to keep bringing this game up? This is the I'm on a high in the bowls, and now we're bringing up my lowest moment when I lost a million live bets on Texas because of this. Matt Mitchell, queue up the Gus Johnson college football. Unbelievable. So the referee crew is uh, not probably the best. Oh, the Big 12. I remember that. I know we have to review this because it's our head official, but Big 12 just makes a statement. Yep, we fucked up. No disciplinary action, no nothing. But here you go. You get to you get to ref the national championship game. How is this guy the one that gets to ref the national championship game when he took 46 seconds off the clock? Amazing. That, is, that still blows my mind, but. Anyway, side note for the for the national championship here, uh, you know it, Ohio State gets flagged for a lot of penalties uh, uh, more than most teams in FBS, and that could be an issue here with these Big Twelve refs. Yeah, that, um, now I'm shook. <laughs> Bringing up that game uh, now, we 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 talked about officials. I do just want to clear the air here on weather. It doesn't look like there's going to be any weather. This game is played in Miami at Hard Rock. I was talking with one of our editors who said that or that you were talking about the architecture of the stadium for yeah. about 45 minutes. But <laughs> basically, it's that wind doesn't really matter here as much as other states. But it doesn't look like this is going to be a topic of conversation regardless. I think it's forecast to be like six, seven miles per hour. Yeah. So nothing, on we- nothing on weather here, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's apparently a 10 to 12 mile an hour wind with Hard Rock Stadium. But if you, I mean, if you go, this is where the Super Bowl was played with the Chiefs, uh, you know, and this is where Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa uh, combined for over 90 points in a semifinal a couple of years ago. They redid Hard Rock, you know, the old Joe Robbie Stadium where it used to be, you know, kind of shaped like a bowl with some spirals on the outside. The people walk to the upper decks. And when you have that type of stadium architecture, whether it's baseball or whether it's football, the wind can get in and it can swirl. And wind swirling is a really big deal. I mean, I go to Lambeau with my dad every single year, and I can't even tell you how ridiculous it is that I can see three different directions of wind when I'm actually sitting in there inside of Lambeau. But that's not what this is. And it is very windy in South Florida. But the problem is, is this new architecture of, of Hard Rock Stadium, it's just not that big of a deal because it's it's like a flat disc that they put on top. Well, it's a square. It's not really a circular disc, but it's like a flat top that they put on. And there's a cutout on the top that, that goes over the field. If there's a rain, sometimes it comes in one way and hits some of the fans. But wind is not allowed to get in there and do a swirl and do all kinds of funky stuff. When I go to Razorback games, the first thing I'm doing is, I mean, I know how, where the wind is blowing because I know Fayetteville uh, blind. And what I do is I look at the flags on the field goal post to see, you know, are you going left, are you going right, are you going back, what are you doing here? And the thing is, is just stadium architecture means so much to whether the wind is actually getting in there and swooping it around. Completely not a factor here. Not a, a non-factor in this in Hard Rock Stadium. All right, I uh, told everyone we're not going to leave any stone unturned. We got the weather. We got the officials out of the way. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Uh, I guess we go special teams now. I don't think <laughs> special teams are going to play a huge role in this. And one of my favorite people that have been following me for a long time know that I always 
give shit to Saban about his shitty special teams. SST, I'll just tweet out. But that these special teams are pretty good this year. Uh, reliable kicker. And that's generally what trips them up. Random missed chip shot field goals that I laugh at. But I can't even laugh at that with this team. Any notes? I don't think there's a special teams is going to play a big role or gives a, a huge edge to either team here. If Waddle went, he potentially could make a, pl- a game-changing play on a punt. But if Ohio State is punting too much, they're in trouble anyway. Uh, thoughts on special teams? Yeah, I mean, both kickers have made all their PATs. You know, in Alabama, crazy enough, as much as the kicker history that they have is how bad it's been, Will Reichard's been perfect this year, absolutely perfect this year. He, he's hit every, all 13 field goals. He's hit all 73-point after attempts. Uh, so I can't find anything in the kicking game. Uh, on the Ohio State side with, with Blake Hubbell, uh, it's a little bit of a different story. He's got a three-year kicking history. Uh, he's posted up 28 field goals on 35 attempts, so he has actually missed seven in his career. Uh, and what's crazy is, is he's really good from 40-plus. Like, he's hit eight of ten from 40-plus, but he's just six of nine from 30 to the 39-yard range. So I'm not sure how that comes from a betting standpoint. If you can find a kicking prop that's like longest field goal over X number, these guys have the leg. What's crazy is the Ohio State kicker actually has problems from 30 to 39. He has no problems uh, from deep, and and neither does Alabama's kicker. So from a kicking aspect, if you're going to bet props there, uh, they have the leg to boot it. Now, the biggest – you know, I'll have all this in the article for everybody, like the differences, because there is a major difference in special teams here. Overall S&P ranking, SP plus ranking is 85th for Ohio State, 20th for Alabama. And there's some kickoff stuff in there, but really the biggest edge is punt return units. And Alabama ranks ninth in 15.6 yards per attempt in punt returns. And Ohio State is 72nd at 6.7 yards per attempt. But let's ask ourselves a question. Are we punting in this game? I don't think we're punting in this game very much. So the biggest edge and the biggest difference in special teams comes in a part of the game I don't think is going to be used very much by either coach. Yep, completely agree. I think special teams, it could make a difference in the game, but I don't think it's a worthy consideration from a pregame handicapping perspective. So bottom line to wrap up when, well, I guess to wrap up when Ohio State has the ball, if Fields... So the word on the street is he just has a hip pointer. He's going to be able to go. He's going to be able to run. We won't know until we see him out there. But everything that I've heard is positive news. If he can't go, obviously he does have a full quarterback room. I would assume, you know, you have Jack Miller, who's more a high pro-style recruit. He's on some of the Heisen boards for next year. But I think it would actually be Stroud, who is a higher recruit. He's more of a dual threat can run the read option. I think regardless, it would probably be, you know, say Fields is ruled out. I don't know. I haven't dug too deep, but I think it would probably be about, I'd have to you know, be their first career start. I'd have to stay, I'd have to start conservatively and say it would probably be about a touchdown drop. So say Fields got announced out. I think this thing should go to around two touchdowns. Any thoughts on that? Well, you need the ability to complete a pass to Trey Sermon in the backfield to take advantage of the linebackers. I'm not sure Fields – listen, Fields is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation by far, deserves every accolade that he's getting. Uh, I just don't think he was going to have much success to Wilson and Alave downfield anyways. So really you need a backup quarterback that can hit Trey Sermon, hit some slot routes, take advantage of the linebackers. You know, the leg aspect is not going to be there. Now, Alabama could completely disregard whatever quarterback comes in, but if they are dual threat and can run, that helps out a little bit. As far as Justin Fields not playing, I mean, you've got to put his value at a minimum of six points, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the drop-off there, because there's there's just nobody else that's taking snaps and has real game-time experience. If this is a Clemson situation where DJ's back there, it's minimal. Like, I, I did a little bit of returning production work today, uh, so everybody, you know, our, our friend of the podcast, Brett McMurphy is going to release the 2021 college football, uh, top 25 after the national championship game. And, you know, when Trevor is, you know, declaring for the NFL draft, the drop to DJ isn't worth that much. Uh, uh but you know, someone like Justin Fields, where there's really no experience, no proven experience back there and definitely not what he can do with his legs. I think it's a seven point drop. Yeah. That's where I would have it out as well. By the way, Alabama and Ohio State, they've only met four other times. Never met on uh, one of 
the school's campus sites. I've never met. They bet the first meeting, 1978 Sugar Bowl, Alabama won 35 to 6. The 1986 kickoff classic in East Rutherford, Alabama won 16 to 10. And 1995 Citrus Bowl, Alabama won 24-17. And then they met in the college football playoff semifinal in 2014. Ohio State won 42 to 35. Alabama led that game 21-20 at the half. Zeke, uh, Zeke Elliott was the running back. Um, guess who the uh, quarterback in that game was? A backup, Cardell Jones. Uh, took, took away my TCU 630-1 to that year. Yep. Cast my Ohio State 50-1. to <laughs> Yeah, so that was uh, – that Ohio State team, that was Cardell Jones who made that start. That was just a game Zeke went nuts. 20 carries, 230 yards. So you think Ohio State's going to have success on offense ultimately? Ultimately, I do, because they're going to take advantage of Dylan Moses, Christian Harris. They're going to attack linebackers. They're going to take what Alabama gives them. If Alabama blitzes, fields can go over the top. If they're going to sit back eight in coverage, then Trey Sermon's going to have his day between the zero and 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. I think Ohio State's smart enough. And Ryan Day, I'm a big believer in Ryan Day. You're not going to find me fading Ohio State too often. And he's going to see what Alabama's defense is lined up as, and he will adjust. Ohio State is going to play. I will take what you're going to give me offense. All right. Let's talk our, how we're attacking this game from a betting perspective. I already said I like the over. I've made this line. I think I have it up to about six and a half, seven-ish now because of the, you know, there there is some uncertainty with fields. Uh, I threw in a half point there. And there is some COVID uncertainty with Ohio State. And losing a guy like Tojiai, uh, who I probably pronounced his name wrong again, um, and two stars on the defensive line, that's important, maybe another half point. So I, I've shaded it up a little bit. I still have it a touch under seven. So at eight, I do see a tad bit of value on Ohio State in a game that I think will be a shootout. It's, you know, you're talking slim margins here, and it's not, you know, one or two points. What the hell is that in a game like this? So maybe I would get involved with Ohio State live if, just like I did against Clemson. If this thing gets up to 10 and there's a lot of public money on Alabama, maybe Waddle gets announced he's definitely playing or something, I think I would take a shot with Ohio State there. If not, I'll probably avoid a pregame position on the Buckeyes, uh, but I do really like the over. I already have 74 and a half. like that at anything 75 or below based on how I see this playing out. Uh, how about you? How are you attacking? The, we'll, we'll get the props next, but how are you attacking this, if at all, from a uh, betting perspective? Yeah, I'm going to take an Alabama team total over 41 and a half. Uh, yeah, I know that number should. We'll see where it goes. I mean, there has been money in the market that's driven this down. Uh, there was an opener somewhere of 77. I saw it driven down 76 and a half bet MGM. Uh, and I think really those are just math guys, guys like myself who put stats together and say, well, this should really be 72, 73. Yeah, well, I watch these two offenses, too. And I'm telling you, this really this game could really get out of hand really fast. I'm not going to be I, I held an under in so many games this year that, that got, uh, you know, you're not going out of the season with yeah. an under big 10 unders. This is going to be awful. I'm not going out this season on an under. I'm taking an Alabama team total over 41 and a half. You know, I think the hesitation with taking the full game over because we're recording this on a Thursday. Friday, Ohio State's injury report officially comes out, I think tomorrow afternoon. And the final COVID tests, I believe if I read, are tomorrow afternoon also on Friday. So we're going to know who's departing for Miami by Friday night around 6, 7 o'clock. So if there's some sort of news leak about who's healthy, who's not, who has COVID, who doesn't, I would like to have all that information. Uh, I would like to know that Ohio State's going to be able to do their part. Justin Fields going to be able to do their part. If, if you know, the defensive line does have COVID-19 and Tyreek Smith is not going to be there, that's great for the over two. Uh, so it's same thing with the point spread. This is a game that I make four and a half. Uh, so I think eight. Listen, it's an inflated tax. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, is it's just not this game. It's wild card weekend. Look at the game on Saturday night and look at the game on Sunday night. You have Pittsburgh favored huge over COVID-ridden Cleveland on Sunday. You have Tampa favored huge over, I'm not really sure how they're going to score, Washington Redskins. And I think what Alabama turns into is a huge parlay piece for a lot of people. So I, I think that we can benefit on that. 
by waiting on Ohio State and possibly see that I saw a nine today in the market. I think there's going to be a nine and a half that pops at some point. Yeah, books could have a ton of exposure on Alabama oh, if the NFL weekend goes a certain way. They're going to need Ohio State so bad. And the the other thing is that with Ohio State, I also know that the Buckeyes are have the highest scoring differential of any team in the nation in the second quarter. And when I talked about Ryan Day owning the middle eight, he really owns the last four minutes of the second quarter. So I will get a bet down on Ohio State at some point. Uh, between now and kick, if there's a nine and a half that's juiced correctly and I can get, you know, scrape a 10 for 115, let's do it. Uh, so there's no reason for me to rush. I don't want seven and a half. If I'm going to go to overtime, I want the eight. But Ohio State is the play. Alabama team total over 41 half is a play. And then there's just a nice list of props that will be in the article that we can discuss right now that I, I can't wait to get into. But, you know, I'll stress this enough. This is a national championship game. That doesn't mean. I'm going to bet my entire role or make it anything bigger than usual. My prop bets are going to be the same size as, you know, my Ohio state and my, and my Alabama team total over. All right. Well, that's a good transition. Let's get to props. We will have content up on action network app and action network.com on Monday when this market, when these markets are open and a little bit more, but I, I was glad to hear we're, we're on the same page here with Ohio state, especially if you can get 10 and that'll be, you know, the exposure to books, you're, make a good point could be very high if all the favorites in the NFL win this weekend and I'm on the over and then from a props perspective without going super deep to find my best ones I will tweet them we'll have content with around them on Monday um and we'll have a best bets file as well I, I was happy to hear that you wanted to target the tight ends for both teams because that's digging into this game preparing for this podcast that's basically where I wanted to go as well talked about that anything else just on the surface without since we don't have specific numbers yet that you want to mention for props. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the increased usage of 12 personnel on both sides, I think that you have to target the tight ends. Jalen Waddle coming back should make some yardage and some total receptions go down a little bit, but the first one, I'll go ahead and get over the, the tight end ones. I'll start with, if you look at Ohio state, Trey Sermon is going to take in, you know, the, the lion's share of attempts in the red zone. And that's fine. Uh, but when it comes to the tight ends, who scored the second and third touchdown in that game in the Sugar Bowl? Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert. So I expect their numbers if I can get them. Now, like we said, we're recording. We haven't seen these numbers yet. But for first touchdown, I'm centering in on, you know, putting a quarter or a half unit out on Luke Farrell first touchdown, hopefully 30 to one or better. Jeremy Ruckert first touchdown, hopefully 30 to one or better. Now, if it's out there and you can find it, split those in half if it's Ohio State's first touchdown. So you'd look at Jeremy Ruckert or Luke Farrell 15-1 to 1, uh, for first TD props. As far as the other side goes, I'm ready to fire on Jaleel Billingsley over number of receptions. The yards have not really been there. I mean, he's been a, you know, uh, he's he's been used on third downs. He's been used at the goal line. Uh, it's not like Jaleel Billingsley is a kid that catches the ball and he has like 20 acts. That's not him. But what he can do is on money downs, which is red zone, third down situations, fourth down situations, he's going to get targeted. He had four targets in the semifinal. I'm looking for Jaleel Billingsley over two receptions, two and a half receptions. I'll still buy it. Three, that's when it gets a little bit tight. Maybe a bet. At three, it really starts to lose its value. But Jaleel Billingsley over two and a half receptions. Love it. Uh, completely agree. Uh, anything else you want to mention for props? Yeah, a couple things. Like Sean Wade coming out and saying that I want Devonta Smith one-on-one, man-to-man, that's great. That's fine. I, it's not the reason I made this bet. There are other reasons to suggest that Devonta Smith is going to have his way. Uh, they're going to move him all around the field. He's going to be able to take advantage of the secondary. Uh, he has had over half of his games, he's had a reception of over 40 yards. He's had a lot of 50s and a 60 in there. Uh, I like Devonta Smith, longest receiving, uh, longest single reception to go over. Uh, if you can get that in the in the low 40s, that would be a good bet. Uh, but I think one that I'm going to hammer even bigger than you know that one is Trey Sermon. Not Trey Sermon rushing, not Trey Sermon, you know, first touchdown. Trey Sermon over two rece- receptions. That is perfect. I, like I said, last two games, these odds makers, if they, if they look at Trey Sermon's total receptions for the season 
and like divide it by the number of games that he's played, they're missing the picture completely missing because he's gotten 10 targets over the last two games. He's had 15 the entire season. So if they come out with something, you know, recept, I mean, reception wise, it's really low. They're doing a disservice to what Ohio state's game plan has been the last couple of years or last couple of games. So Trey Sermon over two receptions, Trey Sermon over 20 receiving yards. They're going to, they're going to bubble screen him and he is going to crash down on that linebacker core so hard. It's, it's going to be a big part of the game plan. I like Sermon's receiving yards, not so much. I, I believe his rushing yards are probably going to get blown out of the water. I imagine odds makers are going to have that number up around in the 140s, 130s, 120s. I, I believe his rushing prop was 125 and a half in the playoff against Clemson, and it ended on 125. I'm going to stick away, stay away from that. I would rather focus on his receptions and his number of receiving yards. What do you think? Longest reception for Mechie will be? Yeah, I mentioned Mechie in the article on action. Uh, Mechie is somebody I'm actually staying away from. For some reason, his targets have gone way down, and it's not like there's been an increase. Devonta Smith has had a pretty stable number of targets from 7 to 12, you know, is the number that he gets looked at. There was one game where I think he just flat out took off. I think they wanted to give him a week of rest, and Mechie still – was hanging around in the low, you know, fives or fours. And I think he had two targets in this past game. Now he's doing an excellent job blocking downfield. I don't know if that's part of the handicap, but John Mechie is like a great blocker. Uh, and, and so I'm not sure what's going on, but his number of looks from the middle of the season to now, they've disappeared. Now let's say best case scenario. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think that, I, and that's why I wanted to target the tight ends. I think you're going to be undervalued in the prop market. But I, the one thing that, I was potentially looking at with Mechie is just over longest reception. Yeah. And he's had, I think, five or – he had a 40-yard reception against Notre Dame. Uh, I just think there's going to be one play where Smith is getting so much attention from a safety and he's going to get behind the defense uh, and you're going to see – you're going to see a long touchdown to Mechie. Um, yeah, I think a Mechie over single reception. Yeah, I wouldn't go for – Yeah, longest total, reception yards. Yeah, total number of catches or yards. I, I'd stay away from that. And I know that the theme of all these props has been over. So let's talk about one of the unders that I do like. And that's somebody whose targets have gone down immensely. And when Chris Olave came back, it's like Garrett Wilson didn't even exist. Uh, so Garrett Wilson, I think because there are three corners that can shut you down and because of their average PBUs per game, uh, I don't like Garrett Wilson catching a lot of balls in this. So I'm going Garrett Wilson under the total receiving yards and Garrett Wilson under a, uh, if there's a touchdown prop out there or if his touchdown is set at a half, I would take an under because I, I think Garrett Wilson is, is going to get a lot of looks. I think he's going to get locked down. And, you know, I think Fields would, would force it to Alave, but he doesn't do that a lot with Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is not the first look for Justin Fields. Uh, I think the tight ends are getting a little bit more exposure. So if there's an under to play on a wide receiver, I think it's Garrett Wilson. All right, there you have it. As deep of a dive on the College Football National Championship as you'll find on any podcast. Appreciate all of you listening. Hopefully we can bring you more winners this bowl season, but we're not done just yet. We still have some business to attend to. We're going to start with some listener appreciation. yeah let's do this welcome to the action network podcast award show spectacular we now introduce two guys you've called ass and sheds all season long your hosts for the show stucky and colin wilson okay so it's time for our end of the season awards first up is the highly anticipated Action Network Hotline Caller of the Year. All right, so we had some good candidates here. We had John from Long Island, our most consistently exasperated caller. Martin from Chicago, spokesman for Buckeye Nation. I think he wrote a song for me as well. Juice from Rochester, whose epic Jim Harbaugh rant will live forever in infamy. Tyler from Corpus Christi, balancing uh, bartending with degenerate gambling like a pro and uh, saying he loves me and getting <laughs> mad at Colin the other week. 
And the Honorary Lifetime Achievement Award goes to Jason from El Paso. Yes. El Paso, El Paso. Hats off to Minor Nation, as always. But one caller stood out above all the rest this season. Drum roll, please. And the winner is... You might have guessed it. Matt from Ottawa, leader of the Coastal Carolina bandwagon, official chant caller, and the creator of the Triple C Dynasty. Roll fucking shots, baby. I'm the new shot caller, okay? Congrats, Matt. Love you on Twitter. Still sad your chance couldn't get home a victory for our middle in the ball, but what a season for the chance. And Matt from Ottawa. Long live the Triple C Dynasty. Can't wait to see what you have in store next year. Not, not going, going away. away. Triple C Dynasty is not going away. Appreciate everyone who called into the voicemail all season. And by the way, we have college basketball podcast starting next week. So the voicemail is not going anywhere. And college basketball beats are as bad as they can get. So I'm sure we're going to be hearing from a lot of you. All right, before we conclude the voicemail portion of the award show, we also have to recognize our greatest caller of all time so that new listeners may enjoy him. If they have never heard Devin from Alabama, who called the hotline on September 21st, 2018, after Lovey Smith's Illinois team gave up 35 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to blow an unblowable cover against Penn State. I'm Devin from Alabama. Champagne, Illinois. Lovey Smith. The whose name should be Haiti Smith for mouth-fucking on. How the fuck do you go from four down to 90 points down within five minutes of the game? You piece of Lovey Smith, Champagne, Illinois, and all, them, and all the crowd that happened in Chicago ends up happening in Champagne. So unbelievable. Uh, Lovey is now gone. That was a Friday night game. I will never Friday night. I will never forget that game as long as I live. That was amazing breakdown. Yeah. Uh, and finally, before we get out of here and close up our final college football, it makes me sad. Final college football betting preview episode of the year with college basketball coming next week but the final college football we do have to get to the presentation of the most hallowed and prestigious award in all of sports betting the third annual presentation of the gambling heisman trophy presented annually by the action network gambling heisman trust and now the presentation of the gambling heisman trophy Awarded to the most outstanding Division I player whose athletic excellence best enabled the pursuit of monetary gain through the art and science of wagering on college football. We first need to honor our past recipients. 2018, Trevor Lawrence, Clemson, covering machine. He took my money quite a few times. Uh, 2019, Lynn Bowden, Jr., Kentucky. Amazing some of the covers he was able to get, taking over at quarterback, leading receiver, leading rusher. Kentucky was great against the spread that year. Many qualified finalists this year. I'll let Colin argue for one that I'm going to turn down, and I'll give the reason why. But it is a very qualified candidate. Colin, who was your nominee? Well, before I get into my nominee, I want to give a shout out to some contenders. Uh, Haj Malik Williams was, we rode Campbell, my homes, my homes, my homes. We rode Campbell so hard through their first three covers. The Campbell University Camels from Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Check it out. Uh, you know, against Georgia Southern, uh, Coastal. It was just becoming automatic, and it was because of Haj Malik Williams. And uh, it, so I want to give a shout-out to him. Also, I have to give a shout-out to my Justin Bieber T-shirt-wearing former Razorback quarterback that Chad Morris loved, Nick Starkle, found himself a home in San Jose State. San Jose State this year went 6-1-1 one one against the spread. Amazing turnaround for those guys, and I'm glad Starkle had such a productive season. But Truth be told, with that team, the defense had a big part to do with their with their against the spread record. So I passed on Starkle. Indiana, if you look at the against the spread record, 7-1 against the spread this year. But Michael Penix Jr., greatest photo finish of the year. He didn't play the entire season, so I didn't give him any props for this award. Uh, I'm going with 
the best defensive player in college football, a guy that covered a game all by himself, and that would be Zaven Collins of Tulsa. Not only is he a one-man wrecking crew when it comes to the rush, when it comes to defending the pass, Tulsa came from the depths of a black hole with a new defensive coordinator and a new scheme two years ago, and Zaven Collins now leads this team with the, the worst offense in FBS. One of the worst, I mean, you can't see anything in the stats that supports this team. They went seven and two against the spread this year. And Zaven Collins, if you need any kind of, per, you know, any kind of video, just check the tape on Tulsa Tulane, a game in which Tulsa was never covering and Tulane betters felt completely safe until he returned the game winning points covering uh, final play in a, overtime for Tulsa Tulane by himself broke a lot of hearts and put a lot of tickets in a wastebasket that night. Zayvon Collins, University of Tulsa, that's my candidate. All right, well, a, a worthy candidate. And uh, the Penix, that was awesome. Had some Indiana money line. That was one of the highlights of the year for me. Oh, and that also, I hit the round robin, my round robin that day, with like 17, seven dogs that won by like a total of seven points. So shout out to Penix. But I agree, he didn't play the whole year. Your boy Starkle, he didn't even play every down. Like he, there yeah. was Nash was playing some as well. But here's the thing. You said it. You disqualified Collins yourself. He didn't play every game this year. And look, I had him when they had an enormous comeback against SMU, and he sealed it with an interception. He was amazing. Best linebacker. One of the Nagurski best linebacker. But Nair, best linebacker in college football this year. And that, yeah, I actually pushed that Tulane. It brings me nightmares. But I'm not going to hold that against him. But he didn't play in the bowl game. Eh. So I, I, I can't give it to him. He didn't want to. He didn't want to get Mike Leach fired. That's it. He just he didn't want to get Mike Leach fired. <laughs> Still, he did not play every game, and there is a much more worthy winner. I'm proud to present the 2020 Gambling Heisman Trophy. Again, presented annually by the Action Network Gambling Heisman Trust. To and the winner is quarterback Drew Plitt of Ball State. Ball State, yes, they only went, what, six and three against the spread. But, oh, baby, did they do some good things for us. Not only did they win, I mean, they beat Buffalo as outright in the MAC championship as two touchdown underdogs. They beat San Jose State as nine and a half, ten point underdogs in the bowl game. They beat Toledo as ten point underdogs earlier in the year. They somehow pulled out a win against Western Michigan as an underdog. They needed that Western Michigan game as an underdog. They needed to beat Toledo as 10-point dogs to get to the MAC championship, to get to that bowl game where they made us so much money. The MAC manifesto, yes, I'm biased, where I had Ball State 9-1 to as well. I had some money line in the MAC championship, obviously, because of that. Money line in the bowl game. And we, we need to get a, Mac, a winner from the MAC. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> this is the Mac was supposed to not play. They were the first announcer and they weren't going to play. They ended up playing. They brought us so much weekday joy when we thought we weren't going to have any. How beautiful is Maction? How beautiful <laughs> is Maction? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Congratulations to Drew Plitt, quarterback from your 2020 Mac champion, Ball State Cardinals. And also, they beat your boy Starkle in the bowl game as 10-point dogs. <laughs> so the award goes to Plitt. Can you live with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ball State made me a lot of money. We've loved Ball State for years. The problem was always, oh, by the way, you know, Drew Plitt, I believe, was recruited by Pete Limbo like five years ago. So it's he's been there quite a long time. It'll be interesting to see if he's one of the seniors that return. But we've said this about Mike New. Uh, a, a long time ago is that this team just needed to stay healthy and they can start dominating the Mac. Uh, that was a great Mac manifesto that you got out there. I'm glad that we got a Mac season nine to one was great. I can live. I can absolutely live with a team that won the Mac with those kinds of odds. Sure. Uh, four outright wins as an underdog three as a double digit underdog. They started the year. zero and three against the spread finished five and oh. So Ball State finishing strong gets Drew Plitt the award. That'll do it for us. We're not done on content for the national title. Make sure you check us out on Twitter and on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. 
we'll have a lot more content coming. Also, if there's any updates to rosters for COVID or injury news, we'll update content accordingly. We appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate the support. Uh, if you would just take a, a second to, and by the way, if you want an award, reach out to our producer for a gift podcast at actionnetwork.com. If you could take a second to just re- review it means a lot to us. It really helps us tell a friend, tell an enemy. We hope we won you some money this year and provided some entertainment along the way. We hope we can win some more money together and close out this bowl season strong on the national title. And it's not really goodbye. It's see you later by later. I mean, next week, because next Friday we'll be out. Kyle and I will be back with college basketball. And then in about a month or two, well, Colin right now, probably Colin will probably start getting the work on college football next week. So we'll have got that, <laughs> but we'll be back with uh, previews in the summer, which I can't wait for. Hopefully it's a more normal year and we in more normal times, but I'm glad we got through this year. Uh, it was a pleasure doing this. We love doing it mainly because we love college football, but we also love all of you guys who listen Hey, this is the producer, Matt Mitchell. I also want to express my gratitude to each and every one of you guys for listening to these college football episodes of the Action Network podcast. Uh, They've always been my very favorite for a season in which we didn't even know if games were going to take place to have all of you along for a ride as we grew the show, grew our audience, and were able to have a, a great deal of fun in what has often been a very unfun year is incredibly meaningful to Stucky and Colin and to the Action Network, but also to me on a very personal level. We sang Country Roads this year. We had a Canadian help us fall in love with a football team from Myrtle Beach. We never let the ladies get between us and the belt. We celebrated the return of Maction. We had a lot of fun. I love each and every one of you for joining us for that ride. I look forward to seeing all of you guys right back here when college football starts next year. And Colin, I will leave you with this reminder of your favorite defensive coordinator, Barry Odom. Barry Odom is a joke. So let's have a night on Monday, and we'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.